You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 151, Theme Parks. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to another episode of You Don't Know Flack. Today is June 16th, 2014, and I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. On today's episode of You Don't Know Flack, I will be talking about theme parks. Uh, Before we get started on theme parks, I was uh, away on vacation, so I recorded uh, this episode while I was on vacation, and I stored it on my handy-dandy Commodore 64. I actually recorded it with an emulator. Since I was on vacation, I used the emulator uh, on my laptop to record it in glorious 8-bit. So as I transfer it back over from the emulator to my PC, we'll have a little bit of time to talk about the vacation during this week's loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Loading time. So I have been on vacation. We flew. Those of you who listen to the show know that I do not like flying, but we agreed to fly this year to California for our um, Memorial Day vacation. Our kids are out of school every year on Memorial Day. And, uh, they're out that whole, I guess that week was spring break actually. So, uh, we decided what the hate. No, they were out of school. That's what it was. And so, um, uh, by the time we get to Memorial Day. So, uh, but the daycare is closed that week. They, um, my kids go to a daycare that closes down the week of Memorial Day and all the, uh, uh, staff gets training, they get CPR training and lifeguard training and all kinds of training that they need uh, to run a uh, safe and wonderful daycare. So the kids are out of school and out of daycare that week, so we take a vacation that week. So um, uh, Now last year, uh, we had intended, my, one of the uh, things on my wife's bucket list is to see the Sequoia National Park. And so we had intended to do that last year, and we got in the car, and we started driving west from Oklahoma, and we drove, and we drove, and we got to Vegas, and the kids and I took a vote, and we declared mutiny. We said, we're not driving anymore west. We're done. And so instead of making it to the Sequoia National Forest, we stopped in Las Vegas, and we had a wonderful time. We saw lots of great things. And my wife said she uh, would go along with this uh, mutiny of ours on the condition that next year we go to California and we fly to California so there could be no mutiny. So that's what happened this year. We all got on an airplane and we flew to LAX. We went to Disneyland, which is uh, one of the things we'll be talking about on this week's show. We went to, we drove around Hollywood, which was awesome. I I have actually, um, I keep a list on my website, robohara.com forward slash states, like the 50 nifty United States. And um, so robohara.com forward slash states, I keep a list, an active and up-to-date list of every state I have visited in the United States. And I believe that list right now stands at 45 states. I think that's right. It might be... um, 
44, 45, 46. It's somewhere in there. Um, but there are a couple of states that I've cheated on. And, uh, for example, I have Rhode Island listed on the list of states that I visited. Now, when we went up to Maine uh, last year for vacation, we drove from Oklahoma to Maine. And based on uh, Google Maps, it does appear that we went through Rhode Island. I didn't stop. We didn't buy anything. We didn't do anything. So that's one of those gray area states that I have listed. And I do mention that on the list, that there are some states that we've driven through, uh, but we haven't actually stopped in. Michigan uh, is uh, one of those states I've been through but haven't stopped in. Um, And so uh, several years ago, I attended uh, in the same week uh, DEF CON, which is a big hacker conference in Las Vegas and CGE classic gaming expo. This is in 2007. And, uh, so they were back to back weekends. So instead of going out one weekend, then traveling back, then traveling back, I thought, you know what, what I'm going to do, I'm going to travel out there, go to CGE, uh, which was the first weekend, stay all week and then attend DEF CON, which was the second weekend. That's what I did. And so uh, during the week, my dad flew out to Vegas. He'd never been to Las Vegas before, and I drove him all around town, and we had a really good time. And it came up in conversation that neither of us had ever been to the state of California. So one afternoon when we had nothing else to do, we got in my truck. uh, We left Las Vegas. We drove to the California border. We got off at exit number one. We took some pictures at the sign that said, Welcome to California. We took pictures of the mountains. We got in the car, and we went back to Las Vegas. So uh, that's really the only time before last week's vacation that I had ever been to the state of California. So I certainly didn't get um, to uh, experience some of the wonderful things that California has to offer. So this time, boy, did we get a tour. We flew to LAX, as I mentioned. We went to uh, Disneyland. We went to Hollywood. We drove all around Hollywood. We went to, I had to go to Sunset and Vine, Hollywood and Vine. I wanted to drive up and down and see all the the famous clubs and all the places there on Hollywood Boulevard. Uh, We went to uh, the mall where you can see there's a mall there that has a great view of the Hollywood sign. We went there. We went on a tour of the Warner Brothers back lot while we were uh, in and around Hollywood. Gosh, what else did we do? So basically what we do is we we rented a car in uh, L.A. and we drove up to San Francisco. But this was over an entire week. Uh, so we did get to go to the Sequoia National Forest. We got to tour the uh, Jelly Belly Factory where they make Jelly Bellies. That was kind of fun. I got to go to the Computer History Museum uh, up near uh, or in San Francisco, which was absolutely fantastic. Uh, we got to tour Alcatraz which um, is probably, uh, I don't really have a bucket list per se, but that's definitely something ever since I was a kid, I was fascinated with Alcatraz and um, the the guys who escaped from Alcatraz. And you get to see the actual cells where they dug the hole in the wall and the paper mache heads. And uh, so I thought that was fantastic. And of course, we went down to Pier 39, which is just right down from Alcatraz and um, go to some cool places there. So we just did a lot of really cool uh, things on this vacation. One that I'm going to be talking about on episode 152, the next episode, you don't know, Flack, is we got to go to Rancho Obi-Wan. If you're not familiar with Rancho Obi-Wan, uh, Rancho Obi-Wan is Steve Sansweet's personal 
Star Wars collection. It has been given the award by Guinness Book of World Records as the largest private collection of Star Wars memorabilia. Uh, when they gave him the award, I think their award says he has 70 or 80,000 items. But during our tour, uh, which lasted almost four hours, he said that the number is closer, somewhere between 400 and 500,000 items. It is an amazing Star Wars collection. Um, I, I have the biggest Star Wars collection of my little personal circle of friends. Like anybody that I know in Oklahoma, I have the biggest Star Wars collection. Uh, and then once I got on the internet and started seeing um, Tom Burgess and his group, I Grew Up Star Wars, which if you haven't checked out his website, it's fantastic, IGrewUpStarWars.com. Uh, you know, and you start looking at other people's collections and you're like, wow, my collection is not very big uh, compared to some of the other people's collections. And, and uh, uh, then when you get to Rancho Obi-Wan and... Uh, I'm like, wow, my, my collection's crap. <laughs> like, I have nothing compared to Steve Swain Sweet, who has a, an amazing, amazing tribute to Star Wars. Um, 9,000 square foot of Star Wars collectibles, one-of-a-kind pieces of art, um, artifacts from the, the movies. Uh, Steve Swain Sweet is definitely an expert uh, on Star Wars and Star Wars collecting. He worked for Lucasfilm. For, I believe, about 15 years, he's written 16 books about Star Wars and Star Wars collecting. So, uh, And he's a super nice guy. If you're anywhere uh, in that area and you're a fan of Star Wars, I highly recommend that. But anyway, I don't want to talk too much about that because uh, that's what I'm going to be talking about in the next episode. Not only, uh, well, I might as well spill it here in the beginning, but uh, the next episode... Uh, I had a recommendation from uh, Gary Burton, one of my listeners, and Gary said, um, you know, with the tie-in with all the Star Wars news and stuff right now, he'd like to hear an episode about Star Wars uh, games, and that will get us back uh, talking about tech a little bit and talking about Star Wars, and so I thought I'd throw more about Rancho Obi-Wan in that episode. So, uh, we'll, we'll stop talking about Rancho Obi-Wan, but... Um, it, it was, uh, the whole vacation was very, very awesome. We flew home from San Francisco. Uh, I always feel like a vacation is over when I would rather be at work than be with my family at that point. And I think all four of us were at that point after uh, seven or eight days on the road. And so we all flew home, had a uh, wonderful time. But on today's episode, we will be talking about uh, theme parks. And I will, at the end, I'll be talking about uh, Disneyland. This was our first time to go to Disneyland. Uh, the other thing I had written down here is that our cat was missing, but we have since found the cat. So that's not really a news bullet here. It's been, uh, I wrote some of these notes a couple of weeks ago. Our, uh, I have a cat. We have a cat, Dusty Springtail. Um, all of our, we've had a couple of cats since the kids, uh, since we've had kids. The first one was Don Piano, who was named after a, uh, video clip that went viral on America's Funniest Home Video. There was a cat who, uh, could talk supposedly. And one of the things he would say is, Oh, Don Piano. And so we named our cat Don Piano. Uh, and this cat looks, um, it's kind of a gray with brown on it. So the kid called it, um, Dusty and then Dusty Springtail just kind of came up. But anyway, Dusty Springtail, for some reason, is one of those cats that every time you open the front door, the back door, the garage door, any door in this house, the cat immediately tries to make a break for it. I mean, I, I don't know how many times a day, uh, we open a door, multiply that by how many days we lived in this house and how many days we've had Dusty Springtail. But whatever that number is, that's how many times 
the cat has tried to escape. And it's not a cat that gets out the front door and then stops five feet out. And this cat gets out and runs houses away. And it's always a huge ordeal. So uh, the cat got out um, on a Monday morning and uh, we were on our way to work. We didn't have time to chase the cat. So I said, don't worry, kids. This is like the famous um, speech you get from parents. Don't worry. The cat will be there when we get home. Well, of course, the cat was not here when we got home. And the cat did not return for several days, and uh, so it disappeared on Monday. And then on Wednesday, our next-door neighbor came over and said they were going out of town until Saturday. And would my kids uh, be willing to feed their pet? So uh, both my kids, who were sad about our cat being missing, went over and fed the neighbor's dogs. And uh, so we spent each night for a week getting in the golf cart and uh, driving around the neighborhood and calling for the cat, shaking the cat food bag. And my daughter took the laser pointer and pointed it at various bushes. And we found multiple cats, but none of the cats were our cats. So we did bring other people's cats out of hiding, but um, not our cat. So after a week, we had pretty much given up hope. Our neighbors returned and uh, came home from their vacation on Saturday and immediately came over and said, uh, we, if we're looking for a cat, we might want to check their garage because their entire garage smells like cat pee, uh, and there's cat poop and footprints on everything. And so we went over and sure enough, there was our cat who somehow, as our neighbors left on vacation on Wednesday, uh, got stuck in their garage. So our cat was out in the wild Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then got stuck in the neighbor's garage Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So for three days had no food, no water. Um, and the cat was a little clingy and a little, um, crotchety for a day or two. We talked about taking her to the vet, but, uh, she, uh, took right to the water bowl and to the food and, and, uh, it's been, oh, four or five days since then. Everything's fine. So Dusty Springtail was gone. Dusty Springtail is back home. Uh, looking forward here. I cut some feedback out from, uh, the other episodes. Uh, I did get some feedback from Guy Hutchison. Uh, Guy Hutchinson, uh, as the uh, host of several podcasts, including the Adventure Adventure Club podcast and um, Drunk on Disney, and he's just a super cool dude. He has supported me uh, and all my shows uh, for a long time. And um, anyway, in fact, I'm I'm going to appear on uh, the next episode of Drunk on Disney, so I'll put links to all of Guy's shows. Uh, but Guy sent me a comment uh, about the episode where I was talking about the Microsoft certification, and his comment was. Your story is scaring the hell out of me listening now, and I'm sure I will have nightmares tonight. Well, uh, I had something funny happen at work uh, last week. We, um, I had some people come in from out of work or from out of town, and we are building the next generation of our domain controllers uh, that we're going to be using at work. We have Windows uh, Server 2008. We're going to be upgrading to 2012, and that's what I got my certification on, and um you know, a lot of the stuff, I mean, you got a bunch of smart people sitting in a room and I always feel like I'm not the smartest one, you know? I mean, all these guys know their stuff and I'm always, um, I guess humbled is the right word and maybe intimidated a little bit. You know, people come in and, uh, you know, they, they know what they're talking about. And so I like to, I'm not really the guy that, that'll raise my hand and just jump in when we're talking about stuff like that. I like to listen to everybody's opinion and then kind of make decisions based on that. And so, uh, not to get too technical, but there was a, uh, one specific thing we had to do. And I said, you know, and it just popped into my head. I said, I think I remember in class, you have to do it this way. And everybody said, uh, no, I don't think so. I think we could do it this other way. And so they did it the other way and the other way took several hours to do. And then when we were done, 
an error popped up and the error popped up and basically the error message said, oh, you have to do it the first way, which is the way I had said. And uh, so anyway, I got a, a little bit of a I told you so moment, which is always a little fun, especially when you're with people, like I said, that I, I feel like um, – uh, know a lot more about that stuff than I do. So, uh, so I did get, uh, and, and, and I also know, and I've been in these situations before, once you get one, right, you got to quit. <laughs> Cause if you keep uh, answering things and throwing out information, you're going to be wrong. So once you're right, once you get, it's, um, like a, uh, a performer, you got to leave them wanting more, you know? So I got my right answer in, but, um, uh, at all, I'm, I'm being a little bit, uh, uh, joking about, um, about some of that, but, uh, I do, uh, you know, that when you do that certification and, and the, um, boot camp, they, they gave us so much information in such a short amount of time that, uh, you feel like oh, I'm never going to remember this, but, um, the right answer, the solution to a problem just popped right into my head during that, uh, little session we had. So, um, it looks like some of it at least stuck. So that's good. Um, Oh, also, I got feedback from uh, my friend John. Uh, you might know John as Boat of Car from Digital Press, and I've known John for many years uh, just from hanging out on Digital Press and, and on Facebook. And uh, John said he wanted to tell me how much he enjoyed the episode about the creek. John wrote, Growing up in West Virginia, I rarely visited the beach. In fact, I never even saw the ocean until I was 11 or 12, but there were a ton of creeks that I played in and around. I think the fact that creeks by their nature are somewhat hidden from people, not down inside them. Oh, people not down inside them, combined with the fact that you never knew what might come floating down them, made for big adventures for kids. Thanks for bringing back those great memories. And uh, I agree, you know, uh, creeks, especially like the creek behind my house was big enough and, and it was always going to be muddy or stickers or something. So it's not a place where parents went, you know, that was kid territory. And um, uh, it's, it's funny that he says um, he never saw the ocean until he was 11 or 12. Um, you know what? I went on vacation one time when I was 15. We went to um, uh, Galveston. So I guess technically I saw the ocean for the first time when I was 15. And the next time I saw it was on my honeymoon when we flew to Florida and got on a cruise and went to the Bahamas, which was memorable for a few reasons. Uh, but the biggest one for me on that trip was I was so excited to learn that when you take a cruise from Florida and go to the Bahamas, you technically go right through the Bermuda Triangle. I was so excited about that. Uh, anyway, uh, if you have feedback about this episode or any episode or the show in general, you can email your feedback to me at Rob O'Hara at robohara.com or leave a message for me on the You Don't Know Flack voicemail box at area code 405-486-YDKF. That's 405-486, like the old computer, You Don't Know Flack. That sounds like the episode is done loading, so without further ado, let's get started talking about theme parks. The first theme park I can remember ever visiting was a theme park called Spring Lake. Spring Lake Amusement Park opened in Oklahoma City in 1922. Uh, there was actually a spring-fed pond located on Northeast 40th and Eastern. Eastern has been since renamed to Martin Luther King Boulevard. Uh, but because of that spring that fed the uh, lake, it was called Spring Lake Amusement Park. And uh, 
you know, back in the twenties, it was open. It was free. You didn't have to pay to go in. Uh, by the time, obviously I didn't go until, um, the late seventies was the first time I ever went. Obviously, uh, uh, we did pay. <laughs> um, the reason that we went to Spring Lake was um, because my dad's company used to have their company picnic there. And so uh, I only remember going once or twice. So this would have probably been maybe 1978, 1979, something like that. Uh, maybe, I don't even think 1980. So I think probably 78, 79. Um, I was too little for big uh, amusement rides. So the things that I remember from Spring Lake Amusement Park were, uh, they had a big slide. I remember that had like three or four uh, bumps in the slide and you would get inside a burlap sack and slide down. So I remember that. I remember a, a fun house, like a house of uh, mirrors going through the mirror maze. And uh, I have some pictures. I'll probably include it in the post of uh, my sister and I writing like a, um, a carousel, but uh, they had one where it had little doom buggies and you rode around in the doom buggies and, and uh, they had a couple other things like that. Uh, Spring Lake is known more, unfortunately, a very unfortunate event. Uh, Spring Lake was around during the era of racial segregation. And uh, so for some period of time, the uh, Spring Lake Amusement Park was for whites only. Uh, later, they opened a swimming pool, and the swimming pool was for uh, whites only. And there is a um, a book. I'm going to pull up the name of this book here real quick. It's just called Spring Lake Amusement Park. Uh, it's a paperback book, uh, self-published. It's available on Amazon. Um, and I have a copy of the book. I actually bought a copy of the book. Um, it talks a little bit about, um, some of the rides and things that were there, but, um, so when they passed, uh, the laws, um, actually it says right here, uh, and I'm quoting from the uh, summary around the book, uh, for all its goodness, Spring Lake was flawed, remaining segregated longer than many other businesses during the tumultuous civil rights era. Forced to integrate by the Civil Rights Act of 1964, Spring Lake adapted poorly. Instead of opening its huge pool to all swimmers and sunbathers, the pool become an aquarium. So, yeah, they, they um, basically, and, and it explains in more detail in the book, but the there were signs at the pool that said whites only. And when they said, based on the Civil Rights Movement, that um, that black people could also swim in the pool, they closed the pool, which is... A really mean and spiteful thing to do, in my opinion. Uh, and so, anyway, in the in Easter weekend of 1971, there was a race riot that took place uh, at the park, and uh, there were several people that were hurt. And um, basically, after that, the park had a bad reputation, as you might imagine. Nobody wanted to take their family and kids to a park where there were race riots, and so. Except for my family, that's <laughs> I guess the tickets probably got cheap. That's probably why my dad's company uh, started having the company picnic there. They're like, "Woo, get a discount now at Spring Lake." So, um, so the uh, actual race riot, which took place in '71, I was born in '73, uh, so that was a little bit before my time. Uh, but uh, so in the late '70s is when we had gone, 
And uh, like I said, I, I just have uh, a few memories of that. I was five or six years old. And then there was a huge fire at the park. And uh, after that, basically it never, I, you know, they say that it didn't recover after the uh, race riot, but definitely after the fire, it did not recover. And it was sold, the property was sold to a local Votech. And uh, so the Votech tore down most of the park, or most of the park was gone by that point anyway, and they built a school and a parking lot on top of it. And actually, if you go to the Votech, uh, you can actually, it's the um, uh, Oklahoma City uh, Metrotech, and you could go there, and they have some pictures from the park, and they have a car from the Big Dipper uh, inside there on display. So that's kind of cool that they kept some of that stuff. I think some of the original light posts that were in the parking lot are still there, but um yeah, that, that's pretty much what I remember from Spring Lake was just uh, a few small things or whatever. So, um, But I do remember going there, uh, like I said, for my dad's uh, company picnic. But the big park, the first big park that I remember as a kid uh, was Frontier City. Now, Frontier City opened in 1959. Uh, it is uh, on the north side of Oklahoma City on I-35. It actually crosses the old uh, Route 66. Uh, and so I guess probably uh, uh, around the time that uh, they had the fire at Spring Lake, my dad's uh, company picnic moved uh, their company picnics over to Frontier City. So we would go at least once a year. Uh, and and um, one of my earliest memories about it. So it, it's a big theme park. Uh, I, it didn't start out big, but it was a decent size. And it's grown in size over the years. But um, uh, it's it's Wild Wild West theme. And so one of the things that they had was a, a train ride. And so you would get on this old train. It looked like an old Western train. And the train would take you all around the property around Frontier City. And it took you where you could see the rides and stuff on the front part. And then the back part of the train tracks took you way off in the woods. And so the, the train would take you way off in the woods. And all of a sudden the train would stop and the train would get robbed and these bad guys with their masks would get on, you know, and uh, I mean, it's like an open, open train. You're not like inside a train. It's, it's, um, like a tram kind of thing, you know, but it was on train tracks. It looked like a train. Uh, but, um, these guys would board. And I remember my memory is that they would actually like started taking some people's watches or something or asking them about their wallets. And then of course the sheriff would show up on his horse and fire some shots. The bad guys would run off. They would shoot the bad guys in the, in the field and everybody would cheer and uh, then uh, the train would take off, you know, before uh, we were robbed again. Uh, I think they stopped doing that. I don't know if somebody complained or, you know, you know how things got um, uh, in today's world. I'm sure somebody complained or somebody got too frightened or whatever, and, and they stopped doing that. But that's that's one of my earliest memories of uh, Frontier City. Frontier City has a gunfight show. It used to take, I don't know how often they do it. It used to be either every hour or, or every other hour, uh, on the hour. And there's a, uh, a main street where you can go. And of course it looks like an old West main street. There's all the buildings and there's a saloon and all this. And the gunfighters come out and put on a big show and, and, uh, you know, shoot each other and, and they're stunt guys. They fall off the roof and they fall onto bales of hay and stuff like that. So, uh, that was always fun to see. Uh, and I remember, uh, at the time, if you remember the, um, John Eric Hexham, I think is a John Eric Hexham. That sounds right. Uh, the guy that played Phineas Bogg from Voyagers. If you remember at the time, he, um, accidentally killed himself by taking a prop gun that was loaded with blanks 
and shot himself in the head on the um, uh, on a movie set, and the explosion actually uh, you know killed him. Uh, he put the gun up to his temple and pulled the trigger. And even though it was blank, the explosion and the concussion that came out of the end of the gun caused enough damage to kill him. And I remember the gunfighters at Frontier City uh, showing us that they, they had put up, you know, before the, the gunfight, they would put up empty aluminum like Coke cans and pop cans and put them up and put their guns up next to them and shoot them and it would blow a hole in them. And so they would tell us, you know, even though they're firing blanks, they're still dangerous and you still treat them like a weapon, you know. So uh, when the guy, uh, that guy Hexum, uh, Phineas Bogg from Voyagers accidentally shot himself or whatever, I thought, I knew that. Anybody who went to Frontier City, we already knew that. Um, let's see. Uh, so over the years, Frontier City has added lots of rides. Uh, one of their big attractions uh, right in the middle of the park is a huge roller coaster. Right next to that is a log ride. Uh, it's one of the typical log rides where you, it's in water, and so you go up and come down. Uh, and there's a big splash. And um, let's see. There's also uh, Wildcat, which is a roller coaster, which is all wooden. And there's the Silver Bullet, which is a metal roller coaster. And they also used to have one called the Orange Blossom Special because it was orange. And now it is called the Nightmare, and they moved it indoors. So the Nightmare is in a completely dark building. Uh, so it's a ri- riding a lo- you know a, um, a roller coaster with the lights out. So that adds a little bit of the Orange Blossom Special is not a very scary roller coaster, but it is much scarier uh, in complete darkness. So. Uh, anyway, so I have a few Frontier City stories. Um, like I said, I, I uh, remember going there a lot as a kid uh, for my dad's uh, company picnic. So we would go once a year, and, and eventually I was old enough where I could just uh, wander around by myself. Uh, the year that I turned 16, uh, my friends and I, I think there were four of us all together, uh, each bought Frontier City passes. And I don't remember how much it was to get into Frontier City, like 20, 25 bucks, something like that. And maybe a pass is like 50 or 55. I know if usually on those things, if you go more than twice, they pay for themselves. And uh, so we bought passes and it was the first year we had cars and we drove to Frontier City many times. Uh, and, you know, we would, that's uh, uh, when we were, you know, you're dating, you're, I think we were juniors in high school. And so we would get dates and we would take them to, uh, Frontier City. One memory that I have of Frontier City is every year around Halloween, they have what's called Fright Fest. And uh, they have a big haunted house and they have a lot of uh, the things on the buildings on Main Street are turned into like horror sideshow type attractions. And uh, so I had uh, taken this girl. Her name was Jennifer. We we went on a big group date. So it was three or four of us guys and we had all taken girls we went to Frontier City, and uh, one of the first things I saw was uh, Zambora. I think it's Zambora, which is the um, – I know I've, I've heard Penn and Teller talk about it, but it is a sideshow uh, optical illusion where a woman changes into a gorilla, and basically it's done through mirrors. So you see a woman standing there, uh, and they have a projector on the top you know, showing the woman, and then eventually the projector slowly turns off, and the gorilla is revealed – and uh, the way that the illusion works is that, the, you know, they, they shake the, the cage and it's very loud and scary. And then uh, you're in a dimly lit room or a room with uh, strobe lights. And then at the very end, the cage bursts open. The gorilla runs toward the crowd and then the lights are turned off and everybody screams and, and runs out the exit. So I, I had taken this girl, uh, Jennifer, 
and I took her to the Zambora room and uh, that she was very jumpy. She was very freaked out by that. Um, I also, they had a, uh, this is an odd story and I have told this story, not on the podcast, uh, but to friends, uh, they had a, um, like a crystal or a palm reader and this lady is reading people's palms. And then as she was showing my friend, she, uh, looked at uh, my friend's palm and said, see, this is your lifeline and showed how it ran all the way across the palm and how they had a very long uh, lifeline. And then I looked at my hand and I'm like, is that this line? And the, the line that she was pointing to on my hand is like an inch long. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> so basically I had a palm reader tell me that I'm not going to live very long, which uh, I was hoping for something more than that. But um, uh, so anyway, so far I'm doing good. I'm 40 years old. And um, so maybe maybe she was looking at the wrong line or something. But anyway. Uh, so we, we were at Fright Fest. We're having a, a good time going around. And finally, we go through the haunted house. Now, I have always been terrified of haunted houses that you walk through. They scare me to death. I know it's dopey kids wearing masks. And I know there's going to be bright lights or noises and people are going to come behind you. I mean, I know it's all in fun. None of that matters uh, to my brain or to my heart or to my nerves or whatever, uh, because I will constantly jump. I will constantly scream. Uh, but I had to put on, you know, a cool face because I was here with this girl I wanted to impress. Right. So, uh, as you're going through, you know, we start going through this haunted house and all my friends are lined up and, um, uh, I'm like towards the back. Actually, I, I'm very last. And so we come up with this idea where we're all going to put our hands on the shoulders of the person in front of us. Uh, and so there's like eight of us and we're all walking single file through this thing. Uh, and so we get right to the very last room. We're getting ready to leave. And I hear somebody behind me and it's a guy in a Freddy Krueger costume. And, um, he starts running towards me and then I'm like, I shake my head. No, you know, and I'm like, no. And he looks at me, you know, and then I like motion. I'm like, Hey, come here, you know? And then he kind of steps towards me and then I motion. I'm like, Hey, because I have my hands on, on Jennifer's shoulders and she has her hands on the person in front of me and I'm in the very back. So I'm like, Hey, come here, come here. And so he comes over and I'm like, Hey, put your hands on, you know? So I motion, I don't really say anything, but I motion that he should put his hands on her back. So he does that. And then I just stop walking. And so, and they made it like another, you know, 10 feet or 20 feet or something. Eventually she turns around and figures that it's not me behind her anymore, but it's Freddy Krueger and she screams her head off. And um, I don't think we dated much longer after that. <laughs> that might have been the nail in the coffin. Uh, she might have known it wasn't going to work out after that. But uh, I, I remember thinking that that was, uh, that was hilarious at the time. Um, let's see. Do I have any other? You know what? Um, one story that I love to tell is um, – uh, my buddy Justin and I went to Frontier City one time and um, we rode the Wildcat, which, as I mentioned, is a wooden roller coaster. So it's very rickety. It's very it throws you around. It is not smooth at all. And uh, the way that the ride is designed is at the very beginning, it pulls you up a giant hill and then you drops you down in there like three uh, bumps in a row. So there's one where you, you, uh, you know, you go up. And then it immediately drops you way down. And then there are two more kind of towards the bottom. So uh, anyway, earlier that day, uh, Justin had explained to me how he only buys expensive sunglasses. And this this must have been around the same time. It definitely was around the same time. This was during the day, but it was definitely during Fright Fest. 
Uh, but Justin told me that he only bought expensive sunglasses, and I believe he told me he paid over $100 for this pair of sunglasses he was wearing. Um, I have a rule that I try not to pay more than $5 for sunglasses. Occasionally, I will splurge and I go 10 but I don't know that I've owned a pair of sunglasses more than a month or two. I always lose them or sit on them or something, you know, I just don't keep sunglasses. So I would never pay a lot of money for sunglasses. My sunglasses normally come from the flea market, to be honest with you. Uh, but Justin had these really expensive sunglasses. And so he didn't want to lose them on the Wildcat. So he put them, he was wearing a button down shirt and he folded his glasses up and put it in the front pocket. We go all the way up the first hill on the Wildcat. We're coming down, down, down. Then we go down really fast. And then we go on this little bump. And when we hit the bump, I mean, it throws you up with force. And when it threw us up, the sunglasses came flying out of his pocket. And then it drops you back down. And I know that it can't possibly last more than three, four, five seconds. But I, it, seem, it seems, in my head, it was like 30 minutes. Like we're dropping and his sunglasses are next to us in the air, and they're dropping at the same rate that we are. So it's like they're floating in air, and Justin's reaching. is like, no, <laughs> with both hands, and he's reaching out trying to grab him. Of course, I'm just laughing as we're dropping, 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 and then eventually we hit the next bump and go up, and the sunglasses keep going down, and they fall into the weeds below the roller coaster. And so when the ride is all over, we come out, and, um, you know, you have to actually exit out through a gift shop. And so we asked if there's any way to get underneath the ride. And they said, well, there may be somebody over there near the fence. There's a fence around the ride, but they might let you in. And so we went over and there was somebody next to the fence and it was a guy in a Frankenstein costume. And so, um, he did let us in. We explained what was going on. And so me and Justin and a guy in a Frankenstein costume searched the woods or this, you know, it's like a big area with full of weeds and stuff. And uh, we never, we did not find the sunglasses, but, um, I'm sure that was, that's like a surreal moment. Like if I ever, um, uh, write a book that I may include, uh, you know, having to search for something with uh, the help of a guy in a Frankenstein costume. Um, what else do I have? You know what? I, <laughs> I, I didn't, uh, I just thought of this story. I don't have this story written down, but I broke up with a girl, a different girl. I did a lot of my breakups. Uh, Fr uh, Frontier City is not good for my relationships. I, I dated a girl named Ami. And when I say dated, um, it was that type of relationship where we both kind of went, oh, I guess we'll hang out. But that was it. Like, uh, I don't think we, um, you know, I don't think we ever kissed even. I think we just, maybe we hugged or something. Um, and it was, um, when I was in high school, I wanted nothing more than to get a girlfriend. And then once I would get a girlfriend, I never knew what to do with them. I didn't know how to treat a girlfriend. I didn't, um, take them out. I didn't, you know, I would just like, Ami loved watching Star Trek. And so I would go to her house on Sunday and we would watch Star Trek late at night. Um, but you know, I, so when, when I say that these relationships failed, all of them are my fault. <laughs> Every one of them. I don't blame any of the girls in any of my stories. And the only thing any of them could have done better would be to have dropped me sooner. Uh, so anyway, you know, um, when you're, this is, uh, probably right after my senior year, maybe the summer after our senior year, and you're just hanging out with this group of people. And there was this guy named Bill, and all these other people. And, you know, so they were all part of our circle and we all went to Frontier city 
And then there was a water ride that nobody like wanted to ride but me. And so I rode the ride and I come down and there's a me and Bill and they're like holding hands or something. And, and it's that moment where your whole world, you're like, what, 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 what? Like you just, like your brain cannot comprehend what's going on. And then everybody's like, oh yeah, I think Ami just dumped you while you're on that ride. And now she's going out with Bill. And I was like, what? And, um, I don't, I can't imagine that relationship lasted more than a week, but, um, it was totally, totally devastating to me. And, um, uh, I, I worked with a me. She worked at one of the, the pizza places that I worked at and I was really mean to her afterwards. Like I would not talk to her. And I think I wrote like mean letters that I gave to her and things like that. Um, and, uh, you know, it's my fault. I should have been, uh, should have been a better boyfriend and I wasn't, but, uh, yeah, frontier city was not good. So if you are in Oklahoma or around Oklahoma, I do not uh, recommend <laughs> taking a girlfriend or loved one there. You might come home single. So, uh, frontier city is still there. It's, um, probably 20 minutes away from my house. So, uh, we have not, uh, we have not, oh God, you know what? I just, <laughs> I had another Frontier City story hit me. Um, we, uh, my buddy, uh, I, I probably shouldn't name the person in this story, but one of my buddies, uh, was dating a girl who was not, um, as smart as the rest of our group. That's a really nice way to say that. And she's a lovely person. I haven't seen her in years, but I would love to run into her again and uh, talk about the old days. But um, uh, I remember one time we had a conversation and uh, she told me how she had watched a Nova special that explained how the moon evolved around the earth. And I said, well, what was it before it evolved? And then she just had this blank stare. And I um, have seen that stare uh, before, mostly on statues. Um, but um, so we, we went to uh, Frontier City, all of us as friends. And, um, Actually, this is <laughs> God, I got a lot of Frontier City stories. I actually made this girl puke one time uh, at Frontier City. I, I was being silly and uh, we were eating. I want to say we we're eating hot dogs or something. And I had eaten like a whole bunch of the, the bun and the bread and taken a drink of water. And then I turned around. We were we were sitting on the grass and I acted like I threw up and I went, hey, and, and I went and, and spit it out. Uh, but it, it actually did make her puke. And then I <laughs> felt really bad for that. Uh, but anyway, uh, so, so all of us were, we were getting ready to ride the pirate ship and I'm sure you know the pirate ship. It's the big ride that goes up and down and up and down, left and right, left and right. Uh, and it almost goes completely sideways to the left and completely sideways to the right. And so as we're waiting in line, my buddy says, God, that thing goes up almost 90 degrees. And uh, then, then this girl turned around to me and said, how did he know how hot it gets? And <laughs> you ever have somebody in your life that you should keep around just for entertainment purposes? Uh, this girl was uh, one of those people. And uh, like I said, super, super nice and super sweet girl. And uh, I hope she's doing really well. But uh, anyway, enough of Frontier City. Uh, Frontier City is on one side of town and uh, on the other side of town is whitewater. Whitewater is a huge water based theme park, as you might've guessed, uh, that opened in 1981. Um, our neighbors across the street, uh, 
were uh, four boys, and they got passes the first couple of years uh, the Whitewater was open. And also our neighbors down the street, which were three girls, also got passes. But when they started Whitewater Passes, they did not take your picture. So it was just a laminated card that said Whitewater Pass, and it had your name on it. And uh, so when any of those people would go out of town, we would always ask if we could borrow their passes. (laughs) And that was mostly how... Uh, we got to go to Whitewater because uh, Whitewater, I remember, was uh, was sort of expensive. It was, uh, you know, maybe probably not any more expensive than a theme park, but, um, you know, 20 or 30 bucks a day, something like that. Um, it has all the normal attractions that uh, these big water parks had. It has a wave a wave pool that generates waves. And I always remember uh, going on that as a kid and being terrified because there was uh, the story that some kid had got you know, sucked down on the grade and, and drowned. So you're always terrified that you were going to drown in the wave pool, which I guess in a way made it more exciting. Uh, there was the uh, Lazy River, which is a river that uh, has a current, goes all the way around the park, and you could get in the Lazy River if you're trying to get from point A to point B and just float around. There's also the Rapids, um, which is a, uh, a big, you know, it looks like rocks and you're in rocks and you, you get your inner tube and you float around on the, on the rapids. And, um, so those were always fun. And there was a, another ride called white lightning, which I believe I remember hearing was seven stories tall when I was a kid and, uh, white lightning, uh, when it, when they first opened was just a regular slide. And so you got up on this slide. There were two channels uh, left and a right. And so you got in it and it was basically this really fast slide that was seven stories tall. And you went down and then at the end, there was a flat part and then a pool that would dump you in. And uh, they would always tell you, keep your legs crossed with one over the other uh, and don't you know, lift your legs or whatever, because what would happen, especially with people that were lighter is when they would hit the bottom, they would just start skimming across the water. And, um, you know, the, the pool that you landed in, I mean, I, I don't know, it's probably 10 or 15 feet across, but there was always this, this fear that, um, you know, you would hit the wall and like break your ankles or something. So, um, I went to whitewater one time with my buddy, Justin and his mom and, uh, Justin had heard a rumor that if you went down white lightning and uh, spread your legs instead of keeping your legs crossed, that basically you would give yourself an enema. And so he told his mother to uh, spread her legs and that she would be sure to stop at the bottom. And so she uh, did spread her legs and it worked exactly as advertised. Water shot up her butt and she (laughs) immediately got out of the pool holding her butt saying she had to go to the bathroom and we did not see her for hours. So that was a good day for me and Justin. Um, also, if you've read uh, Invading Spaces, I have a story in the back about the time that uh, we found a battle zone uh, machine, and that was at Whitewater. It was a battle zone machine. And for some reason, it wasn't properly grounded. They had an arcade of classic games that was like an out, outside tent. And uh, there was something wrong with the grounding, and so there were some metal carriage bolts on the game, and any time you touched them, it would just shock the crap out of you. And so um, uh, we, we did it unintentionally a few times until we figured out what was going on. And so there was a kid next to us, and so uh, to make a long story short, we had tried to convince him that if you touched the coin door or the coin slot and these bolts, that it would shock you, but you would get a free game. 
Uh, and so, you know, we talked this kid into basically shocking himself multiple times in a row. And uh, then we were like, oh, he must not be doing it right. Try again, you know. And he did. He tried many times. And so uh, that was a um, very sadistic thing to do. It was very enjoyable as well. Uh, there was also a, a mini golf course, which has uh, since been closed. I guess it wasn't very popular. I used to like to play the mini golf, but I guess not a lot of people did that. Uh, Whitewater is still around. And actually, Whitewater and Frontier City were both purchased by Six Flags Amusement Parks a few years ago. Uh, so now you can buy a pass, and it's much more expensive. I want to say it's like $70 or $80 or something like that. But it allows you to get into both parks for the entire summer. So we have not done that with our kids. I want my kids to be a little bit older where I can drop them off. <laughs> and they're not quite that old yet. But um, once they can do that, I'll probably start buying passes and uh, and sending them on their way to uh, to these parks. Now, there was another, I can't really call this a theme park, but it uh, was important. It's an important uh, story, was the um, KJ103 Indoor Fun Fair. They used to have this every year. It was hosted by a local radio station, KJ103, and they would have it down at the fairgrounds, and they would bring in a bunch of rides. I mean, basically, it's like a, a carnival fair kind of thing, but it's indoors. And uh, my buddy Justin called me and said, hey, we should go to this. We were like 14, 15 years old. And we went to it, and he's like, what are we going to ride first? And so I finally, I had this secret. And I didn't want to tell anybody, but I finally told him. I was like, listen, I don't ride rides because I'm terrified of them. He's like, what do you mean you don't ride rides? I'm like, I don't, I don't ride rides. Like, I'll ride this thing, you know, like this baby carousel. And he's like, no, we're, we're going to ride some rides. And uh, so anyway, we got in line. And so the first thing we got in line for was the pirate ship. And uh, at this point in my life, I had not ridden any ride. I hadn't ridden uh, the big the big rides at Frontier City. I hadn't ride, ridden um, uh, any big rides anywhere. And um, so anyway, uh, we're in line to get to the pirate ship. And there's a ride next to us that was a thing that I all I remember is it like spun around in circles and it went upside down. So it was on some kind of track and it looked like a, a spaceship cart thing or something. But it it just went around in a circle over and over and over. And that ride had stopped because they couldn't get the gate that would keep you from flying out to your death to latch properly. And so they had stopped that ride while we were getting ready to get on the pirate ship. And I look over and they have went and got some rope and they have closed that gate and they're tying it closed with rope. And I'm like, bull crap. I am. <laughs> There's no way I'm going to ride this thing. You see those guys, they're tying this up with rope. Are you kidding me? And, um, anyway, uh, at that point it was really, uh, too late to chicken out. And so I, I got on the pirate ship and we rode it and I had a blast. It was a life changing experience. I, ever since that moment, uh, I've enjoyed riding rides, so uh, I, I do have to um, uh, give credit to Justin uh, for getting me on my first ride at the uh, KG103 Indoor Fun Fair. But after that, Frontier City and, and Whitewater and all these other places uh, started you know, being a lot more fun for me. Uh, now, there's the closest Six Flags to us here in Oklahoma is uh, Six Flags over Texas. It's in Arlington, Texas, which is halfway between Dallas and Fort Worth. So it's about a four-hour drive from here. Uh, and for some reason, I never made it down there uh, when I was a kid. So uh, the first time that I ever went down there 
was uh, with a buddy of mine named Bran. And Bran and I both worked at Grandy's. We were both cooks at Grandy's. And uh, after we graduated, you know, when you graduate, you start, you, you do these things where you like want to prove you're an adult, you know? So we were like, Hey, we're, we're going to go, we're going to Six Flags by ourselves," which seemed, I guess, like some kind of big accomplishment or something. So we went to Six Flags. It wasn't too memorable. The only thing I, I remember about that is um, there was, I remember they had some rule where if you were handicapped that you could skip the line uh, and get to the front of the line. And so at one point, um, and I don't remember if it was me or if it was Bran, this is terrible karma. Um, but us like walking around trying to pretend like we were handicapped to get up to the front of the line. And all we got were a bunch of, uh, deservedly dirty looks from the other people that were in line. Um, I don't remember if we were drinking on that trip or not, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, but, uh, so I don't have a lot of huge memories about that trip to Six Flags, um, the biggest thing I remember about it is that we, you know, that we went. And so when we, we came back and all my friends were like, Oh, you went to six flags by yourself. And I'm like, yeah. And, and so we, um, we planned a second trip. And so this, this was with all, all my buddies. Uh, this is Andy and Jeff and Scott, uh, and another Scott and Josh and me. And, um, one of the Scots had a blue Ford Festiva. Uh, but before you laugh too much, I had a red one. So the two of us had matching Festivas, well, blue and red. And so we decided we were going to go to Six Flags, the six of us. We were going to carpool and take the two Festivas and drive down and spend the weekend uh, at Frontiers or at uh, Six Flags. So that's what we did. The six of us got together. We drove down to Six Flags. And when we got there, we found that parking at the park was, I want to say it was like $15, maybe $10, something. But it was for us, it was a lot of money. And so we came up with a plan, a plan that nobody ever has ever thought of before. We decided that we would park my car at the Subway restaurant right outside the park. And then six of us would pile in the other Festiva and drive it inside the park. And this is a foolproof plan. Nothing could possibly go wrong. And nobody has ever thought of this before. Now, I want you to imagine six uh, guys that have graduated high school piled in a Ford Festivo, which barely seats four people. Uh, so we had three in the back seat, two in the front, and one in the actual hatch. We get up to the park, we pay our parking, and uh, we go into the park and we have a great time. The six of us run around all day. We have a great, great experience. And at one point we're, we're riding the, um, like the river raft thing that it's the big round inflatable tube that holds six or seven or eight people. It's throwing us all around and we hit a giant bump and I feel my car keys fly out of my pocket and into the whitewater rapids. And I mean, it, it wasn't like I didn't know when it happened. I knew the minute it happened. I was like, my keys just went into the water. We get off the ride and I ask the ride people and they say, you know what? There's these powerful vents. They suck stuff out. They clean it out at night. Uh, you could call back the park in the morning. And uh, if we find your keys, we'll let you know. I said, okay. We finished uh, the rest of the day there at Six Flags. We had a good time. Uh, we went outside. We all piled into my friend's Ford Festiva. We drove to the subway and my car was gone. 
my car had been towed and there were signs everywhere that said, do not park here. Do not go to the park and leave your car here. And we thought, gosh, maybe somebody would think we just were inside subway for eight, nine, 10 hours, but, um, we did not fool them. And, uh, I don't, I think one of us, maybe one of the six owned a credit card. The rest of us were cash only. And so I had to take up a donation. We had to go to the impound, uh, lot. And pay $200 to get my car out of impound. But before we could even do that, uh, we had to wait till the next morning and uh, call the park and go pick my keys up. So I did eventually get my keys. We went, we paid uh, the money. And then on the way home, I remember something about stopping maybe at Brahms and, and maybe getting three hamburgers and splitting it six ways or something because because <laughs> everybody was broke uh, and they had all pitched in to get my car out of the impound. So uh, rough experience, but, uh, you know, lessons learned as a kid, right? So anyway, that brings me to Disneyland beep, beep, beep. on the Friday before Memorial day. Uh, my family and I arrived at, uh, Los Angeles. We went to, uh, the Fairfield Inn, which is right across the street from Disneyland, California. Uh, we checked into our room. Now, I have a lot of uh, Marriott points. They looked at my points and they said, oh, Mr. O'Hara. I love when people call me Mr. O'Hara. Usually that means they don't know me. They said, Mr. O'Hara, uh, you are being upgraded to the Pirates of the Caribbean suite. Now, when someone tells me that I'm going to be upgraded to the Pirates of the Caribbean suite, my first thought is that the inside of this room is going to look like the inside of a pirate ship. There's going to be barrels. Uh, there might be a winch. Uh, and I mean the good kind, uh, there, there could be a guy helping me with my bags with a hook hand and an eye patch. Maybe there's a parrot. Uh, we get to the room and it is just like every other Marriott room you've ever seen in your life, except for around the top of the room, there is a, uh, a, like the banner that you put up in a kid's bedroom that has, uh, pictures of pirate ships. And then there's a framed movie poster from pirates of the Caribbean. That is the Pirates of the Caribbean suite. So, uh, but the beds were quite comfortable. The four of us slept. We got up the next morning. We walked over to Disneyland. Um, the park actually opens at eight thirty. We got there at eight, and um, when they when we saw the different gates that you could go through, the different turnstiles, uh, we lined up at one. We were in the very front of one um, at eight thirty. They raise these little gates or they open the turnstiles and we walk through. So we were some of the first people in Disneyland that day. This is the first time that anybody in my family, me, my wife, or my kids have ever been to Disneyland. Um, so when, when I walked in, there's a giant, a Mickey mouse that's been arranged with the flowers. It's like a big flower garden and it kind of choked me up a little bit. Um, not as much as I got an hour later, I'll tell you about that. But uh, you know, you just, uh, as you start walking around the park and you walk in and there's the castle and, and you, and there's main street Disneyland and you're like, I'm in, I'm in Disneyland. I've seen this on television. I've seen this on, uh, the, the magical world of Disney. I, I know where I'm at. Uh, so immediately now when, when you go in the park, you, you're given a map and we had kind of, we knew some of the things we wanted to ride. And, and the thing I wanted to ride more than anything else is star tours and star tours is a star Wars themed ride. Uh, it's a 3d experience. Actually it's, I think they call it a 4d experience because you sit inside a giant, um, ship 
that moves around and it throws you left and right and up and down and you're in front of a 3d screen. So it simulates uh, you being in outer space. And so that's what we did. Uh, we went right to star tours. The ride opened at nine. Uh, and so we got on the first ride of star tours of the day and uh, you go through, there's all kinds of like, uh, there's R2D2 and C3PO and they're talking to people and uh, some other droids and you walk past all that and you get on the ride and you put on your 3d glasses and your seatbelt. And I thought, who, who needs a seatbelt on this thing? But boy, you're going to want a seatbelt cause this thing throws you everywhere. And uh, we got a 3d movie and I, I, I don't know, it's maybe four or five minutes in length. It was, it was unbelievable. It was amazing. It was, um, probably the closest I've ever felt to being in the star Wars universe. And I'm not going to, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to kid you when that thing was over. I had a lump in my throat and a tear in my eye. I, I, it was so amazing. Uh, the, there, there are many different scenarios on the ride and and they're seamlessly patched together. So it's, it's random. You can get a different experience each time. We got one where we flew through outer space and then we, um, uh, we went through Naboo, which uh, wouldn't have been my number one choice, but uh, uh, it, it was just just absolutely fantastic. We we flew around some Tie Fighters and stuff. Um, it was like being in outer space. I mean, it was it was like being in the movie Star Wars. It was unbelievable. Um, so we get off Star Tours, and uh, right there is the uh, Astro Orbiter, which is a um, I don't know. I don't know what you call it. I just call it a theme park ride. I mean, it's a, it's a thing where the kids get inside a thing. that looks like a rocket ship and it goes around at two miles an hour and they can control how high they go up and down with a, a lever. But, um, you know, it just didn't seem very exciting to me. So the, the kids did that. Um, now I should mention that, uh, uh, we did two things of research before we went. The first thing was I found several websites that are called fat friendly guides to Disneyland. And what they are is people who are overweight or plus size to have gone to Disneyland and they have ranked uh, the different rides as to how friendly they are to people who are overweight. Uh, Astro Orbiter, not that I was interested in writing it anyway, but it does look pretty small. So uh, we let the kids write that. We come out and next right there across the street is uh, Buzz Lightyear. Now Buzz Lightyear is a, um, hard to explain. It's a, it's like a ride that you go through, but it's also a 3d shooting gallery. So you get in your little space pods and, and uh, Morgan and I rode in one pod together. And on the front of the pod, you have a laser gun and a, uh, a little screen that keeps score. And so as you go through this ride, uh, you're shooting at targets and you're, you're shooting parts of the ride and it's keeping score. And so, uh, there's also a joystick on the pod where you can rotate your pod 360 degrees. So we're spinning around, we're shooting things. It was a lot of fun. Uh, the problem with the ride for me was each time you shoot a target, uh, they go dark for five or 10 seconds. And we were right behind, obviously a guy who was a Marine and his Marine son. And they were crack. I mean, they were sharp shooters, man. They, I mean, they had everything. So almost the entire ride, there was nothing for Morgan and I to shoot. Uh, which didn't bother Morgan at all. She was just firing the gun around. She had a blast. She thought it was great. I am a very type A person. <laughs> I want to get a high score, and uh, I can't do it. I can't shoot anything because these guys are shooting everything. So whatever. Phooey on them. 
<laughs> so uh, we get off the Buzz Lightyear ride, and uh, so the two things I, I studied, uh, I told you we looked at the uh, the plus size guide to Disneyland. The other thing I looked at was uh, how to use the FastPass system. Now, if you're not familiar with the FastPass system, basically what this does is as the as the park gets more crowded. The lines obviously get longer and you've seen, you know, you have the the signs, you know, you have 20 minutes to wait from this point or, you know, there's a two hour wait, which is what we saw a lot of. But if you get a fast pass, you can basically skip the entire line and go to another line where it's only people who have got fast passes. Now, the catch to this is that you can only really have one fast pass at a time and it's for a specific ride. Uh, And so so let's say um, at eight in the morning which they're not open. Let's say at nine in the morning, you get a fast pass for Buzz Lightyear and it says come between 10 and 11. Uh, so it's a one hour window. Once it's 10 one, you can get a fast pass for a different ride. So once you've entered the window, that one hour window of your fast pass, you can now get another one. So there is an entire system of, especially when you have two adults of one person, you know, with one kid waiting in line, another person going and getting fast passes or, you know, going at two different things. And so while we were, uh, getting ready right before we, we got on Buzz Lightyear, my wife, uh, now we had already got a, a fast pass to ride star tours again. Um, and once we hit that time, my wife went and got a set of, uh, fast passes for Space Mountain, uh, which is a really big and fast uh, roller coaster. It's really fun. Um, but we had to wait until we were right inside that time. So it's just a lot of uh, running around and trying to do stuff to game the system. But the payoff, the advantage of doing this is you get to ride a lot more rides this way and the lines aren't nearly as long. So after Buzz Lightyear, my wife had, uh, we already had our, our tickets for Star Tours and we were heading that way. But I noticed that uh, there was Captain EO, and Captain EO was starting in five minutes. So Captain EO is a movie experience starring Michael Jackson. It's a 3D movie. It was at Disneyland for a long time. Uh, they took it away because it wasn't very popular, and they just recently brought it back uh, after Michael Jackson's death in uh, 2010, I believe. So uh, I have heard of Captain EO my whole life. I'd never seen it. I never watched the video. Um, and I thought, you know what, this is a opportunity. It's a chance of a lifetime. It's the only time, you know, that we've ever been here. So we did watch Captain EO. I didn't think it was super amazing or anything. Uh, obviously it's dated compared to some of the other attractions that are there, but, uh, I'm glad that we saw it. I, I think from a history perspective, um, that it was interesting to see. Uh, so after Captain EO, now it's time for our fast passes to go to Star Tours, but we don't go ride Star Tours. We go get the fast passes for Space Mountain. Then we get on Star Tours, and as I mentioned, Star Tours, the uh, the Star Wars ride, there's up to 50 different movie clips that you can get, and they're all randomized. So, um, you know, it would be very, very unlikely for you to have the exact same trip. Except for that's what happened to us. We had the exact same movie segments with one minor little change in the middle of it. Uh, And so we were like, well, that was kind of a waste. I mean, it was still fun. Uh, And the second time you watch it, it's less about the magic of the moment and more about um, uh, you're starting to see how the ride is put together and how things work. But it was so it was still fun to do. But I was a little disappointed that we that we got the same uh, movie experience twice in a row from there. Uh, we did go ride Space Mountain. Space Mountain is a really big and fast roller coaster, which is indoors in the dark with lots of lights that simulate stars and 
uh, you know, uh, comets and shooting stars and things like that. And, uh, that ride is fast as crap, man. I mean, um, and, you know, I, I was recently talking to Guy Hutchinson on Drunk on Disney, and he's he's right. He said, you know, that it feels like you're so close to the beams and, and where these lights are. And obviously, you know, you must be at a safe distance, but uh, it's very, very scary and, and very fun. So we did enjoy that. And, and um, my kids are much braver than I was at that age. You know, I didn't want to ride those rides, but, I mean, my 12-year-old and 8-year-old, they they wanted to get and ride as many as they could. So we So we did that. When we came out of Space Mountain, there's a ride called called uh, Autopia. Now, Frontier City has a similar ride to this. It is a a ride where you drive a car. You have a gas pedal and I think a brake, but uh, you're on. There's a metal a metal guardrail that you can't. So you steer, but you can't steer past that guardrail. Uh, and so the kids wanted to do that, and that was one that set off a red flag for me. I remember seeing that on the plus size Disney page that says, um, not for big or tall people. You will not fit in that ride. You will not be comfortable. So I said, you know what? This looks like a good one for the kids. So the kids went and did that. And, uh, my wife and I went and sat down near the exit, uh, when they were done with, uh, riding that we hopped on the little train. And uh, the train uh, takes you to different parts, the different worlds, uh, like Tomorrowland, Futureland, or whatever, things like that, uh, in the park. And so we took that over to the next area, which is where the Haunted Mansion is. Now, the Haunted Mansion is something that I've known about my whole life. My cousins had a vinyl record of the Haunted Mansion talking about uh, the experience. And I, so I'm a fan, I'm a huge fan of special effects. Uh, and, and ghost rides and things like that. I was really excited about this. So we wrote it. Um, I enjoyed it from a historical standpoint, from a special effects standpoint. I didn't think it was great. Um, you know, I had to keep in mind that some of the illusions inside the ride are 50 years old and they have older technology. So I, I, like I said, I did enjoy it just from like a, a historical and just saying that I got to see it, you know, but, um, I don't know. I, I didn't think it held up great. Uh, from there, we hopped on the train again, and we were heading back over to the main part so we could leave. But as we're we're getting ready to go out, we walked past It's a Small World, and I'm like, listen, we have to ride It's a Small World. It's a Small World is a classic. I mean, it is Disney. It is Disneyland. You know, I mean, this is Walt Disney's ride. It's a Small World. So we get in line and we, and at this point we don't have any more fast passes. So I think the, the wait is like 30 minutes and it's starting to heat up outside. It's probably 80 degrees and uh, we get into our little boat and it's a boat ride and you go through a little channel and the, the water's probably a foot deep or something. It's not, not deep at all. And you get in the boat and we start going in and you go in this giant looking castle and here comes the song. We all know the song, right? And so you hear this song a hundred thousand times uh, over the length of this ride, which is probably 10 minutes. Now, as far as rides go, you're sitting down in a boat in an air conditioned big ride. So it's comfortable. Uh, you know, we've been at the park for five hours at this point. So it's a nice place to rest your feet. 
And uh, what we notice pretty soon is that the ride starts slowing down. And it slows down to the point where we're in a room and uh, we're next to uh, Lilo and Stitch, which has been added to the ride and the animatronics are going. And suddenly, uh, our boat is not even moving at all. And we get hit from behind from another boat. And we look ahead and there are more boats. Now, the whole part of this ride so far, we haven't seen a single boat. And now suddenly we're in a room and there's like 10 or 11, 12 boats. Uh, so something is not not right at this point. We are stuck. We are stuck inside It's a Small World. And all you can hear is this song. And the animatronics are click-clacking back and forth. And I'm like, this is odd. And so um, we're, we're sitting there for five or ten minutes. And all of a sudden they make an announcement. Please cut the audio to It's a Small World ride. So the music stops. And now you can just hear the whirring and the clicking and the clacking of uh, the machines going in the background. And uh, that goes on for another, oh, maybe 10 minutes or so. And then we hear another announcement. Begin emergency evacuation of It's a Small World. And I'm like, holy crap, this is awesome. Because, you know, I'm, I'm a, a, a journalist at heart. I love telling stories. I love when something unique happens. And uh, so to me, this is great that this ride is broken. Plus, if you remember, it's 80 degrees outside. Inside this ride, it's probably 68, 67, 66, something like that. I mean, it's 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 almost chilly. So this is where I want to be anyway. It's inside. It's in the shade. It's air conditioned. Uh, and so eventually people that are working on the ride show up and they start pulling the boats by hand through the ride. They move the first couple. Uh, they make another announcement. They turn the audio back on. And now the song's playing again, and uh, we go, uh, we go, eventually the boats all start moving. We are stuck inside the ride for 30 minutes, um, which, like I said, sounds like a long time, but it, it's sure better than, it was much more enjoyable than the 30 minutes I spent standing outside in line waiting to get on this ride. So, uh, after this, we do get out, and people outside are P.O. They're like, why... You know, I mean, there's been people standing waiting to get on the ride, but it, obviously it's been broken, you know. So so we get off. Um, and we leave the park at this point, and I won't go into too many details, but we go to lunch. We go back to the room. We, we take a little break, and, and we start making our plans for that evening. And our plans are uh, to come back. The one thing I want to write is uh, Indiana Jones and uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. We come back to the park around 6 o'clock. We go over to the Indiana Jones ride, and it's a two-hour wait. And so we're like, ha-ha, well, we'll just get the Fast Pass. So we try to get a Fast Pass, and it says, sorry, no more Fast Passes available uh, for this uh, attraction. And we're like, oh, I didn't, didn't know that was an option. I didn't know they ran out. But apparently, you know, once all the slots are filled for the whole day, um, it's filled up, and that's it. So um, anyway, uh, we weren't able to do that. So instead, right across the way is the Jungle Cruise ride. And the Jungle Cruise ride, I have heard about and my kids know about, and they know about it from the Weird Al song, uh, Skipper Dan. I'm a tour guide on the Jungle Cruise ride. Skipper Dan is the name. And I'm doing 34 shows every day. Every time it's the same. And uh, in the song, Skipper Dan talks about how he uh, uh, he runs on the uh, Jungle Cruise ride and he tells these 
corny jokes and stuff like that. And so we got on and uh, our skipper was not named Dan, uh, but he told some of the same jokes. And I looked online at some of the jokes and, and they're all the same jokes over and over. And so it was very, um, very kitschy. Uh, and very cliche, but it was very, very enjoyable. And it, it, it has, um, it's a little sarcastic for the adults that there's enough humor in there for the kids and the ride, uh, was just fantastic. So, um, I don't know that that was, the, I mean, obviously the, um, the star Wars star tours ride was the highlight for me, but this might've been a close second. Uh, I, I just really, I thought it kind of encompassed, uh, you know, the entire, uh, uh, Disneyland experience for me. Uh, then we leave there, and uh, my kids want to ride the uh, the Mad Hatter Tea Party, the teacups, which we've seen on TV. I've seen them on TV for 50 years. They were there when the park opened. There's no line for them, so my kids get on. They ride that. Um, and now the thing that they want to ride is the Matterhorn, which is a giant uh, roller coaster. And I have looked at my thing online, and it says, not for fat people. You will not have a good time on the Matterhorn. So... My wife and I are like, okay, listen, kids, you get on here and you can't, you know, there's nowhere for them to go, but in line, stay in line. And when you get off, we'll be right here in the exit. And it says it's going to be 45 minutes. So we're like, great. So we put them on in the line for the ride. We kind of watch where they're going. And once the line starts going, we're like, okay, we got 45 minutes. And so, um, the one thing I'd heard about was that the park, supposedly Disneyland has, really good corn dogs. And so we, um, looked at our map. We went a block away and, uh, went to where there's supposed to be a corn dog cart, but the corn dog cart was gone. So we talked to another vendor. He says, we'll go over to this place and they have uh, turkey legs and corn on the cob and, uh, chimichangas. So we go over there and they are out of turkey legs and corn on the cob, but they do have chimichangas. So I get a chimichanga, uh, and a blue slushy. Uh, and it's 11 and a half bucks, I think. So I get my two things and right around that time, uh, my wife's phone rings and it's my kids. And this has been like 20 something minutes. It's my kids and they call and they say, we're off the ride and we can't find you. We're like, holy crap. So <clears throat> we double back to the Matterhorn. We do find my children, which is good. And I get busted with a chimichanga and a blue slushy, which I had really hoped that we wouldn't eat dinner until we left the park that night because food at the park is very expensive. Uh, but now that I'm busted, uh, the kids are like, Oh, I thought, you know, we heard that the corn dogs, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So now it's, um, Oh, 15 or 20 minutes before time for the evening fireworks to start. So our plan is to go and go to the pirates of the Caribbean, ride that maybe grab a corn dog and then hit the road. We walk towards the middle of the park and suddenly we have found 10,000 people who have all congregated in the middle of Disneyland, who have all um, taken up their spots where they can watch the fireworks show. We had not planned on this. So um, it, it's literally like, um, like a white water rapid of people. Like we try to jump in and just ride the sea of people over to where we're going to get off to go to the Pirates of the Caribbean. But when we get to that part, it's roped off. And there, there's a, um, a person working there, and they're like, you, you can't go this way now. It's closed. So really, we should have been there before they closed it off. So now all we can do is go towards um, the Old West area where they have corn dogs. So we go over that area, and there are just millions of people everywhere. It, it's one of those crowds where you're just hanging onto your kids' hands, and you're like, hey, you know, 
don't let go because I will never see you again. Uh, we do get over to the um, stage door cafe. We get inside. Uh, they are trying to find someone who has paid for but not picked up a giant funnel cake, which looks delicious. It's a it's a funnel cake for four people, it looks like. It's covered in powdered sugar and strawberries and everything else. We order four corn dogs with four sides. Your choice is French fries or apples. I think we got one of each or two of each. Uh, and that's about 45 bucks. And I'm like, oh, God dang it. I wish I hadn't got caught with that chimichanga because it's costing me a fortune. Uh, and so when it's time to pick up our corn dogs, they're like, hey, you can have this funnel cake. The person never came back. So we're like, all right. So uh, we move outside. And now there are people everywhere because apparently where we are, you can also see uh, the fireworks display. And so people are standing right in front of us. They're everywhere. Uh, we're sitting on a little half wall of rocks and we eat our corn dogs. And, uh, I go to the great state fair of Oklahoma every year and our corn dogs are better than Disneyland corn dogs. I'm sorry. They are, uh, the corn dogs at the Oklahoma state fair are amazing. And I thought these were okay. And, um, maybe they're better earlier in the day, but, uh, these, these weren't great. So, uh, we finish eating right around the time the fireworks stop and we're like, you know what? Let's go. Apparently 10,000 people also said, let's go. <laughs> so now that that same huge wave of people that we fought coming this way are now all moving towards the exit. Um, I, I joked online. I said, uh, whoever called this the uh, most magical place on earth hadn't been hit in the back of the ankle several times by a stroller being pushed by another kid. That's true. That did happen to me. Um, so we do eventually make it out of the park. Uh, we walk the block back over to our hotel where we crashed for the night. Disneyland was a fantastic experience. My family is already planning on either visiting Disneyland within the next couple of years or um, going to Disney World next year. We haven't really decided yet, but um, it, it was a, a great first exposure to the Disney parks. We're very excited about going back. Um, in general, I would say the parks were very clean. I thought the people, everybody working there was nice. I thought most of the people who were, were attending, I mean, the, the people that were there were nice. Uh, the, the lines, the queues were handled well. Um, everything about it was an enjoyable experience. I'm sure people have gone to Disney and had bad reputation, you know, a bad, um, experience, but they can't afford a bad reputation, you know? So, uh, it, it is expensive. It was about a hundred bucks a person, but, um, we loved it. If anything, we, we would have liked to have had a second day so we could, uh, have planned, uh, to see some of the other attractions. Um, a, fr a friend of mine online, Paul, uh, sent me some different ideas about how he and his family do it, how they juggle their times. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, they, they eat at off times and they go to the rides at off times so that they can avoid the crowds. And I think that's a, a great strategy and we'll try to employ some of those things next time. Uh, but, uh, so that, that's, uh, the, the last theme park that we've been to Disneyland. So maybe next year I'll be able to do another episode and talk about Disney world. But, uh, the end of my trip to Disneyland is the end of this episode. That wraps up another episode of you don't know flack. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you'd like to send me feedback about this episode or any other episode of You Don't Know Flack, you can email me at robohara at robohara.com. Contact me on Twitter at Commodork. 
Follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash you don't know flack. That's all one word. Or leave me voicemail on the you don't know flack podcast hotline at area code 405-486-YDKF. You Don't Know Flack is available from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, the You Don't Know Flack RSS feed, and through throwbacknetwork.net, your home for quality retro podcasts. If you'd like to hear more podcasts from me, check out my Commodore 64 theme podcast, Sprite Castle, at spritecastle.com, and Throwback Reviews at throwbackreviews.com. Both of these shows are also available at throwbacknetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on another episode of You Don't Know Flack.